This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Welcome to a new season of Stories with Sapphire. Last season ended with a pretty divisive episode on demonic possession featuring exorcist trainer Adam Bly. For me, it was a reminder that the supernatural world is so vast and complex that there is no one way to sum it all up. The supernatural is shaped by your worldview. For Catholics, possession is undesirable and dangerous. I mentioned in season one how possession was one of my first hardcore paranormal fears. But in other religions, possession is how you communicate with spirits, with God. Possession, in the Catholic sense, continues to be a controversial topic because, for many centuries, many mental health issues were mistaken for possession. I once heard that something like 98% of possession cases turn out to be misunderstood mental illness. In this week's episode, we'll be talking about the other 2%. First, I narrate a story about someone who became hexed after handling a mysterious item. Then, I read an account of a man who was taken over by something he thought he could trust. Next, I tell the tale of a woman who had a needy attachment. And finally, I share the story of a boy who witnessed his aunt become taken over by something sinister. Chapter 1. The Hex in a Box. Submitted by Anonymous. Hi, I started listening to your podcast about a week ago. I've had a couple of my true stories with the supernatural told before in another podcast, but I think this one fits more with yours. A little about me. I was born in 1976, and before I turned one month old, I already had died. I had a horrible virus and got really sick, to the point that I was dead for a full minute. This is what my mom told me. I think that's one reason why I have always been so connected to the paranormal. When I was about 11 years old, my mom and I moved to this bed and breakfast. She was managing the place and we got to live on site. 
The house that was there before was demolished, and this new bed and breakfast was built in its place. We were located about 15 minutes from the beach in Puerto La Cruz, Venezuela. One day, I saw my cat digging in our backyard. I was curious to see what she was digging, so I moved my cat aside to find a little box that she had dug out. This box had a couple of bones, a bottle with something inside, and like a belt buckle. I was very intrigued, so I took the box to the house and showed it to my mom. Well, my mom, who was a practitioner of witchcraft, freaked out and asked me to show her where it was buried and made me put it back. But by then, the damage was already done. I started to see things, and I felt really weird. I was losing time. Like, sometimes hours had passed, but I had no idea what I did or where I had gone. I became cruel to my animals. And I am an animal lover, so this was really out of character. I would see a lady in white enter the house, but on the side of the house that didn't have any doors. I just respected my mom. And I think things got so out of hand that my mom took me to the high priest she was studying under. I only have some vague memories from that. I remember being put in a tub with some smelly water and herbs. They were praying a lot. I was in and out of consciousness. I don't even know how I got home. My mom ended up quitting her job at the bed and breakfast, and we moved within a week. A couple of months had passed, and my mom finally filled in the gaps of what had happened the day she decided to bring me to the high priest. Apparently, I had tried to stab her with a giant knife. She saw my face completely change. My eyes were dark, and I had a strength that was not normal for an 11-year-old girl that was still recuperating from breaking both of her arms. That's when she knew I was possessed. Her high priest performed an exorcism on me and told her that if she didn't take me from that house, she was going to lose me. The little box my cat dug up was a hex, not sure against who or how long it had been buried in the backyard. But because of this, I have studied demonology for the past 20 plus years. I am a paranormal researcher and investigator. I help people when they have problems with the supernatural. I try to teach people about the reality of possession and at the same time, letting them know that demons are not on every corner waiting to possess someone. But it does happen and there are ways to protect yourself. Thank you for letting me tell my story. There is a belief that if you have a near-death experience, you can more easily access the other realm, because you've already been there. And in this story, the person had died for a full minute. So when they found that hexed box they were already susceptible to whatever energy it contained. As a kid, I used to think that possession was something you brought upon yourself, playing with a Ouija board or practicing black magic. But this person just stumbled upon a hex. We unfortunately can't control the energy people release into the world, but we can do our best to send it back. 
And by becoming a researcher and teacher, this person is certainly counteracting the negativity that came their way to lessen the chance of anyone ever experiencing what they did. Chapter 2. I Got You Now, Stupid. Submitted by Tony. Like a lot of people, I grew up not believing in the paranormal. I was raised in a very religious family where anything weird was considered demonic. So when I went off to college and became a secular agnostic, I discarded such notions as religious superstition. I was open to interesting things happening to myself, perhaps even invited them, but I was convinced that if they did exist, they would make themselves known and obvious. For most of my life, this was true until a life-changing event in October of 2011. It changed me and my views on reality forever. I could tell that story, but it would take over an hour of time to explain fully. So I will share this one about a possession experience. For context, from 2011 on, I had a great deal of experience with intangible entities. Communication was quite common, but inconsistent, ranging from internal auditory dialogue to fully 3D immersive visions to being moved about like a dog on an electromagnetic leash. It was even quite often for me to allow said beings to use me as a basic yes-no Ouija machine, putting my head in neutral and allowing outside forces to move my chin up and down for yes and to the side for no. Not the most efficient form of communication, to be sure, but it worked. Suffice to say, I was used to this level of interaction at this point. And so far, although there had been some mild mischief here and there, it was always benevolent and helpful. So when something entered my body and tried to take over my limbs against my will, I was not at all expecting it. It was January of 2013, and I was laying in bed next to my then-wife, meditating as I tried to induce sleep. We had a three-hooped, three-dimensional dream catcher hanging over our bed, made by a close and beloved friend. As I drifted in the early stages of pre-slumber, I began to feel something warm and tentacly, for lack of a better term, caress first my head, then my physical brain. The sensation was both sensual and even a bit ecstatic, so I reveled in it, thinking this was one of the entities I was familiar with. I was enjoying it as this energy gently rocked my head back and forth. And then, without warning, it was as if fangs bit into my brain, suddenly emerging from a worm-like mouth latching onto me. While there were no words at this point, it felt as if the entity was saying, Ha! I got you now, stupid. And I definitely did feel stupid and definitely afraid, though I did my best to remain calm and composed. My wife was next to me and she'd already been disturbed by my good experiences, which had caused a lot of friction between us. And she was sure I was making it all up or I was losing my sanity. This thing was strong, though, and several times rolled me over against my will, flopping my trailing arm on top of my sleeping wife. I assume now that it was trying to tell me to hold her, cuddle her, and give her attention and affection. But at the time, it just seems like it was trying to establish dominance. 
I hopped up and out of bed and stumbled down the hall so as not to disturb and wake my wife. The entity pulled me down the hall with a roughness that I was completely unused to when dealing with entities prior to this. It pulled me hard towards the light of the chandelier hanging in the living room and stopped me with such a force the inertia almost bowled me over. I then began to hear what seemed like someone yelling at me, calling me a bad husband and all sorts of other epithets, as the thing began to flail first my arms and then my legs around like a wacky windsock person you see at car dealerships. I would fight to regain control of my arms, and the force would squeeze down to my legs, wobbling my knees, then back up to my arms when I got control of my knees back. I felt as though I was dangling on a line that stretched between the light and the dream catcher back in the bedroom. Now, I had been told by a born-again Christian friend that dream catchers were evil and attracted demons, but I completely rejected that as more superstitious nonsense like I'd been raised with. I still wanted to reject it even now, but given the circumstances and the very strong and obvious sensation of being held on a line, I decided to try and end this by removing the dream catcher from the bedroom and stashing it in the garage. Doing so required a Herculean effort on my part, and I had to lean way forward as if in a blizzard, each step a huge task to complete. The effort was exhausting, but I finally got the dream catcher into the garage and shut the door. As if by magic, the force fighting me subsided significantly, but not entirely. At this point, I flopped into the chair in my office and began to try and rebuke the entity, defaulting to what I'd been taught as a child, calling on the other entities that had helped me before, the names of all the archangels, Jesus, and even Jehovah. The entity laughed at me and yelled out, Who do you think I am? As if to say, it itself was all of these things, and there was no way that invoking these names would dissuade it. I finally asked who or what it was, and it took control of my mouth, pushing hard on my voice box to force my jaws open against my will, engaging my gag reflex. Wally. I croaked. Wally. Wally was the name of our kind and elderly neighbor, and I wondered for a moment if perhaps Wally had passed and I was dealing with his disembodied spirit, or at the very least, a trickster pretending to be him. Exhausted, and feeling that the entity was also tiring, I bargained with it. Look, I'm exhausted, and this is getting us both nowhere, I said tiredly. Can we pick this up in the morning after I have a chance to sleep? Shockingly, There was no further verbal response, either forced or internal, but it felt as though the entity had acquiesced. I stumbled back to the bed and collapsed there till morning. When I awoke, I was stunned to discover an ambulance across the street at Wally's house. I watched as a stretcher with a black bag was wheeled out and into the ambulance. The neighbors confirmed that Wally had passed in the night, though it was already obvious to my own eyes. The entity itself did not disappear after this. It would come and go, never nearly as strong as the first time, 
but usually showing up with that same bite of worm-like fangs into my brain, sometimes shaking me around a bit. But slowly, over time, the sensation subsided, but never fully left. To this day, I can still feel this electromagnetic force surrounding my brain, as if it swallowed my crown chakra and then hardened there, like a scaly dragon egg. I wanted to note that dream catchers originate from the Ojibwe tribe. They are believed to capture bad dreams in their web, which are then destroyed in the light of day. So I think that the dream catcher was not evil, but just doing its job. But because sunlight had not had a chance to clear the energy, Tony still had to fight it off. I feel like this is the version of possession most people think of when they hear the term being physically taken over by an unseen force that wants to play mind games. The reason there's so many warnings against communicating with these entities is because of situations like this, where you never know if one will turn on you or who exactly you're dealing with. But if Tony always played it safe, he would have never experienced real magic. So it depends on you if the experience is worth it. The stories continue after the break. Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories. Stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy, or a man who owned a haunted hotel. And also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me. So do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, the stories continue. Chapter 3. I'm in love with her. Submitted by Adiva. I have been saving this story for a while because if this was the first one I sent you, you wouldn't believe me. I still have my doubts on this as well, but I'll let you be the judge. This story is from the perspective of my grandmother, I will try my best to translate her words. I am scared of my brother's wife. Not because she's strict or rude, but because sometimes she changes. 
Sometimes she will act differently, dress differently. There have been countless times where I have seen her speak in other languages or speak in a lower tone. My brother, however, never seemed to notice these things. He was fully enamored by his wife. She was a strikingly beautiful woman, black curly hair that almost touched her knees, smooth fair skin, soft pink colored lips, the type of woman who, when you saw her, you had to do a double take. She caught everyone's attention. I always thought she had a weak immune system though, because she would get sick very often. She would get sick for staying up too late, for standing out in the cold a little too long, and other pretty silly reasons. We took her to the doctor many times, but they never diagnosed her with anything. They did give her a lot of pills, which ended up making her weaker in the end. I remember this one time, much clearer than others, when she got sick. I had never seen her this week before. She was completely bedridden. But what was strange was that whenever the doctors would come check up on her, they would end up getting sick as well, almost as if nobody could touch her or even be near her. Sometimes she would wake up screaming and yelling, saying that she saw someone circling her bed. Other nights, she would stay up all night staring at the ceiling. Part of me wondered if there was something otherworldly happening with her, but I didn't want to believe that. I wanted her to feel better. I wanted it to be something curable. My brother, above anyone else, was miserable. He needed his wife more than anything. As she got weaker, you could see her body completely falling apart. She did not look the same. She was paler, her eye bags worsened by the day, and her eyeballs looked bigger as she lost weight. Her face was now two bulging eyeballs on a skull. I couldn't even look at her anymore without shivering. I finally approached my brother with a proposal that we should look for a priest or anything other than medical professionals that could help her. So that's what we did. The day the priest came, I remember him lighting candles and chanting what we Muslims call suras or duas. The priest said to call him back if anything strange happened after he left. So now all we had to do was wait. That night when I was sleeping, I was awakened by my brother's wife. She was in her room, screaming my name in a deep, low tone. I rushed over to her, thinking she was hurt, and I stood by her bedside, surprised that she didn't wake my sleeping brother next to her. She turned to me and said she desperately needed to talk to me. I am in love with her, she said. My heart dropped. A million thoughts ran through my head. Had my brother's wife been cheating on my brother? With a woman? Was she sick from guilt? I took a deep breath and tried to get more clarity. In love with who? I asked. She placed her hand on her chest. I am in love with her. I don't want to leave her. I don't want anyone else to have her. I need her all to myself, please. Don't make me leave her. It was then I realized I was not talking to my brother's wife, but an entity that wouldn't leave her alone. It was so infatuated with her that it was literally draining the life from her, making her undesirable to anyone. 
She's already married, I explained. You can't have her just because you want her. That's not how this works. You need to move on. My brother's wife grabbed my hand, slowly nodded, and closed her eyes. I waited a few moments to make sure she was asleep before heading back to bed. We called up the priest the next morning, and he came and left religious markings all over our house. Over the next few weeks, my brother's wife slowly started to gain weight and color came back to her skin. She felt better than she had in years. But her eyes, her eyes never fully returned to normal. To this day, they still slightly bulge out of her head. I'm no longer afraid of her, but sometimes when she looks at me, I do wonder, who am I looking at? Is her admirer completely gone? In this case, the woman had a very possessive spirit attachment. It's actually more common than you might think for spirits to become enamored with the living. Sometimes, earthbound spirits may not realize they are dead, so they interact with humans just as they would in life. Because the spirit left when asked to, I'm inclined to believe that this was not a demonic entity, but rather someone who, like many before it, had fallen in love with this woman. It's unfair that the woman had to suffer because this entity was being selfish. Even in the spirit world, it seems women can't catch a break. Chapter 4, The Night That Changed Everything, submitted by Mark. When I was 10 years old in 1980, my family's life changed forever. My parents and I were visiting our relatives in Manila, Philippines. One night, my aunt complained of sleeplessness and feelings of dread and terror. She explained to my mother that the previous night, while using the bathroom, she saw a shadow of a tall, slender man come through the bathroom door. The bathroom in this house was poorly lit and had no windows. My aunt said that the shadow manifested in front of her and was reaching for her. She freaked out and promptly exited. Days later, she continued to complain of sleeplessness and the smell of sickening sweet odors in the house. Her behavior was also noticeably changing. She could be heard laughing uncontrollably during the night, sitting downstairs in the dark, having vague conversations with no one. During the day, she was irritable and belligerent towards us. She was not known to suffer from any previous mental illness and had no substance use issues at that time. Over the next few nights, she would suffer from more bizarre behaviors like night terrors and complaints of the shadow man coming into her bedroom. My family, being devout Catholics, would light candles and pray the rosary every night before bed. I saw that some of the candles would mysteriously go out and that my aunt would become agitated and refuse to participate. She would leave the house and sit outside. The neighbors would see and hear her grumbling and complaining to herself while the family would do their novenas. After about a week of my aunt's behavior not getting better, my uncle had asked help from a local healer. It was around 11 p.m. when the healer arrived. 
She was a small, elderly woman holding a candle and reciting something from a book she was holding, which I assumed was a Bible. She was wearing an all-black gown and a black lace veil. I couldn't see her face very well, but I did notice that she had one tooth that protruded from her lower jaw, and it would move as she spoke. She was accompanied by two other women holding candles, also reciting some sort of prayer in response to the old woman's words. As she entered the house, my aunt became violently convulsive. My mother and uncle were barely able to restrain her on the couch. My aunt began yelling and shouting in a language we couldn't understand. The old woman stood over her and began chanting louder, and the women around her also began to chant louder. As my mother was holding down my aunt from trying to attack the old woman, my aunt relaxed and looked at my mother, saying, Ate, Ate, why are you doing this to me? We're trying to help you, Linda, please, my mother said. But who are you? My aunt responded in a deep male voice. Why are you holding me? My mother then slapped my aunt. Linda, what's my name? Who am I? My aunt looked up and began cackling loudly. (laughs) My mother responded with another resounding slap to her face. Linda, who am I? Ate, ate. My aunt said confusingly as she collapsed on the couch. She became limp and closed her eyes. I noticed an eerie smile on my aunt's face. At that moment, we all heard loud, pounding footsteps upstairs. No one should have been up there as we were all congregated downstairs in the living room. The footsteps sounded like angry stomping, going back and forth for what felt like an eternity. I remember being so scared and the sound so intense that I had to cover my ears. It felt as if the ceiling would collapse. I looked over to the old woman and her entourage. They remained calm and stoic, continuing with their chants. The old woman presented a small black crucifix from her robe and placed it on my aunt's chest. At that second, my aunt awoke with a heavy gasp as if she was revived from drowning. She appeared unable to sit up, although she was trying to. Her eyes were wide and bloodshot. The loud stomping ceased, and the women's chanting increased in intensity. They began saying in Tagalog what I can only make out as, Get out! Get out! Get out of here! You are not welcome! I remember my cousins and I huddled together in the corner, holding each other, crying. I was the only one with my eyes open. Suddenly, the lattice windows flew open and the curtains parted. It had looked and felt as if all the air in the house had suddenly been sucked out and blown out of the windows. The lights all went out, except for the candles the women were holding. Looking at my aunt, it appeared that she had collapsed. The strange grin on her face had been replaced with a look of agony and utter fatigue. The old woman and her company continued chanting softly as they exited the house and moved just outside the windows that had blown open. My mother continued to sit beside my aunt, watching her closely. She was breathing peacefully, but not responding to any external stimuli. I walked up next to my mother and asked if my aunt was okay now. My mother said, I think so. 
let Nunti sleep. The next morning, all the adults were gathered around my aunt, who was standing by the upstairs veranda. My aunt could not recall the events of the previous night. She stated that she finally felt rested, but tired as if she had done some sort of strenuous physical activity. She complained that her arms and legs were sore, no doubt from having to restrain her during the exorcism. My mother and uncle told her of the events of the previous night. She responded, Really? I'm so sorry. I hope I didn't scare the kids. You definitely did, Tita. Over the next few nights, there were continued strange occurrences in the house. I could hear footsteps on the wooden floor upstairs where we slept. We could smell roses in certain corners of the house where no flowers of any kind were. My uncle would start to complain of disturbing dreams. On one evening, I was headed upstairs and noticed my uncle sitting on a chair at the top of the stairs in the dark. He was in conversation with someone I could not see. My father told me not to interrupt. When I asked what my uncle was doing, my father said, He's making a deal with the spirit. I didn't understand what this meant until years later. Since then, my aunt had experienced several hardships in her life. Divorce, drug use, alcoholism, homelessness, abuse. I had no connection with her for decades until a few years ago. She was better, but I could see that her life had been very tragic and difficult. She moved to the U.S. and is married again, but it's not the most loving marriage, and she still struggles with finding stable housing. But my uncle, on the other hand, had developed what I can only describe as psychic abilities ever since that night in 1980. He would speak about two angels that would watch over him and remain in the house with him and his family in Manila. He would talk about being able to travel out of his body, being able to describe our house in the U.S. without having seen any pictures or ever visiting. He told me that he would routinely have to astral travel and kill bad spirits when the angels would tell him to. He even told my father about slaying a demon just outside our front door that was plaguing our home for years. My uncle would divulge secrets to me, like what was at the bottom of the Bermuda Triangle. He explained the proper way to astral travel and what door to avoid entering when doing so. He described the hierarchy of angels and demons. He would illustrate pictures with strange symbols that I later found out were Hebrew script. He didn't speak or write Hebrew. He barely spoke English. One time during a visit to Manila, he gave my father a small gold pendant. On one side was an embossed image of hands in prayer, and on the other side was something written in Arabic. As my father put it in his wallet, my uncle exclaimed, Wait, give it back. The spirits didn't want me to give it away. My father opened his wallet, only to find that the pendant was no longer in it. He emptied his wallet on the table, but it was nowhere to be found. My uncle casually said, Ah, don't worry. They took it back. That's just one of the many examples of my uncle's new, unexplainable relationship with the spirit world. And whenever anyone in our family seems like they might be afflicted by something, my uncle was able to spot it and help them. Even though my aunt continued to struggle after that night, he was able to offer her some guidance and comfort. That night changed so many lives in my family, for better and for worse. 
I can't imagine what it must have been like to witness this as a 10-year-old kid. It seems to me like some kind of door was opened that night. I have no idea what caused it, but that door let in both destructive and creative energy. Mark's aunt fell victim to the darkness, while his uncle gained powers of the light. The spirit world, just like the natural world, finds ways to keep itself in balance. Even when things seem hopeless and terrifying, there will always be people offering help. The concept of possession is so much more complex than what I thought as a kid. Maybe what makes the thought of it so terrifying is that it reminds us that there will always be things out of our control that could upend our lives without notice. We could be going about our day, checking out what our cat is digging up. We could be trying to sleep. We could be unknowingly stalked. Or we could have everything turn upside down without ever knowing why. All we can do is control what we can and learn how to slay our demons. Thanks for joining me today. What are your thoughts on possession? Send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com slash sapphiresandalo where I post animated spooky stories and more. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to Tony, Adiva, and Mark. For more information on this episode, visit storieswithsapphire.com.